This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest this week is Colleen Martin-Oak, singer, musician, and music educator. Colleen was born in Chicago, attended St. Olaf College, now lives in Minneapolis, and loves to perform and hang out in, you guessed it, Northfield. In fact, she's played almost all music venues in town. Colleen sings in Lolo's Ghost, The Thunderheads, and Belfast Cowboys. She's part of an acoustic duo called Oak and Pain and has her own full band called The Rack. This is all on top of her full-time gig as a middle school choir director. Whew, this is a busy woman, and there's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. Let's talk with Colleen Martin-Oak. Welcome, Colleen, to Musician Talk. I'm so glad to have you on. Thank you, Pauline. I am really excited to be with you today. (laughs) I've been talking to Colleen about being on this show for quite a few months, maybe even close to a year. It could have been last summer that we first talked about it. So uh, this is a great opportunity to have you on today. So thank you. We're going to dig right in and Mm -hmm. um, just ask you about your musical journey and kind of take me through when you first started taking lessons or singing or playing and kind of up through to your professional life. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my mom jokes that I came out singing. It probably is true, but I have a very um, strong childhood memory of being at some fancy movie theater in Chicago where I grew up. And I think I was seeing The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince, that movie with Gene Wilder, a children's book. And I'm in the lobby and it's this really schmancy lobby with like velvet couches. And I jump up on the couch. I'm like three or four. And I sing the Carol King You've got to get up every morning with a smile. And everyone's like, woohoo. It was basically the Colleen show as a toddler. You know, I think it started very young, Pauline. So um, my mom got me going with uh, piano lessons in like kindergarten. I started violin in second grade. I was in the Chicago public schools. And I think they start you early on stuff and make sure you get that foundation. Um, we got a used electric piano from one of her coworkers, even in our small little apartment. And then I had my great grandmother's violin. So it was, you know, family stuff that always supported my musical endeavors. Sang in choir, played in orchestra, elementary school, junior high. Um, Because I had big hands and I could read bass clef from piano, then the orchestra director got this idea, hey, maybe she could play the bass. And then it was this late, late, late 70s girl playing bass in orchestra. And then I got into jazz band. I, I really credit my early childhood music education and the support of my family um, for a lot of my foundation. Um, Tons of experiences growing up in the city at first, and then we moved to the suburbs, had a really big, great high school with a lot of arts. Um, That kind of got me into um, St. Olaf, where I sang in the choir, and I got to travel all over the world, um, met some amazing people, had some incredible experiences had that classical foundation, that choral experience. Um, also had my first band at St. Olaf where I met some of my current bandmates. That's um, really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And, and that's and lasted. Like, it's lasted totally. And, you know, that whole blend of classical and pop, you know, is definitely a part of my fabric. I remember your father-in-law was my college choir director. Nice. He was so He was so great at letting us be ourselves and letting our voices be very natural. You know, even though we were in this 
great ensemble of blend and, you know, community and, and teamwork, he still let your own voice, let, let our, let our own voices be heard. And I remember I had this band and I was performing on campus and um, Dr. Jennings said something like, Oh, I know all about your rock and roll evil <laughs> twin sister. And he, we joked that I had this twin sister and he said, my son's in a band too. So it was like this cool, he was supportive too. Like he was totally down with me being, you know, having this commitment, but also trying other things. And that pretty much sums up my musical experience. That is and, so wonderful to hear. Yeah, I love those yeah. stories about Ken. Yeah, he's and great. Yes, and yes, he had his rock and roll son. So. He, and we joked and I didn't meet Steve till years later and, and let's a separate conversation. But, um, you know, that that's really the, the connections that we all have. Yeah. I don't know if it's just a, a Minnesota thing or a Twin Cities thing, but this conversation as we, as we go on, there's so many amazing connections. I know. And that is so cool. And I think that when I first met you, I somehow my soul knew that. Um, I mean, I'm not too a very mystical person, if you would call it mystical, but mm-hmm. I just felt like I already knew you. I really did. I agree. I, and, and I think there are a lot of cosmic connections. And I would put it in those terms as far as my own spirituality and, and the importance that music plays in, in those threads nice. and that connectivity. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you don't feel those other connections, which I felt with you right away, there's mm-hmm. something, there is that connection, even just musician to musician. If you have no other connections that, that allows you some trust there that you wouldn't have normally. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Right on. I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll get to your, all your projects a little later. Oh, man. Um, and thank you for that really quick and very thorough and well, <laughs> uh, very succinct, uh, synopsis <laughs> of your musical journey. And boy, if all of our children could have the support and, um, education that you had with music, mm-hmm. boy, that was, it just sounded like you had the support that you needed and the yeah. smile on your face. People can't see that when you're talking <laughs> about that experience uh-huh. is just wonderful. You know, I was kind of wandering around in the political science um, Spanish. That was my initial major. And I was working part time and I got invited to travel to Korea with the St. Olaf Choir. And Sig Johnson was on that trip. She's a um, was the director of the Manitou Singers. But we we're on a bus somewhere in Korea. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm kind of working part time. And she's like, you have to be doing music. Yeah. I was like, oh, and she just kind of kind of verbally slapped me and just said, why aren't you performing? Why, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. And I was kind of, I wasn't (laughs) floundering, but I was in that weird, like after college time where you're like bartending and I don't know, you know, she, and she really encouraged me to get back into music. And that's what led me to go back to go to the U and get my music ed licensure. And then I got busy again, singing in um, opera at the U singing the jazz choir at the U getting a band back together. So those kind of um, mentors who really encourage you, you know, to follow your dreams and, and, and do your calling, you know, sometimes it takes a mentor or an angel or somebody else to give you a little nudge to get back on the right path. My love for music, my love of singing was always um, a gift and a hobby and not so much a vocation. I didn't think of it in terms of making a living. It was always something I just did. So Um, when I got into music education, then I realized, okay, I can, I can kind of do it all. I can, I can have a day job, but still do what I love, but also get back into performing, which I really love the most. And you are a middle school choir director. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, mm-hmm. where, that's yeah. where you landed, at least for now, right now. Yeah. For 28 years for now. Okay. <laughs> It's a long now. That is a long now. Yeah, That's yeah. great. So, so you are where you need to be and doing what you need to do. And that is just a delight. I'm just thrilled for you. Yay. Yay. So let's move on to this first song. And, and so we get a chance to hear you sing here. This is a cover of a Bonnie Raitt tune called Love Me Like a Man. What do you like about singing this song? My childhood growing up in Chicago was definitely rooted in the blues, huge influence on me. Um, and um, Bonnie, I connect with her early in my 20s when I was in that floundering period. I was working briefly in a nonprofit environmental group and we got to see Bonnie Raitt perform for, I think it was like a water is life environmental thing way back then with Winona LaDuke. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd heard her music. My mom had her records. My mom had a lot of great records that were definitely some of my influences, including Bonnie Raitt. But I got to see her at this, it was an intimate concert, like at Northrop or somewhere. Nice. And it was my first time seeing her live. And just, it's the kind of person like Brandy Carlisle, when you, you see them live, you hear that and you're present in that live experience and you just get the shivers and you just start emote, like the emotions are so real and visceral that I just yeah. said, oh my gosh, I, I love this performer. And when I got my band back together in the late 80s, um, we were called Colleen Martin and the Ombres. And I, <laughs> I just like that name because of my Spanish. But um, it was one of the first songs we did, Love Me Like a Man. And just that, that's such a bluesy classic lick. Yes, iconic. And I, yeah, and I, and I love the message of, you know, if you're going to be my man or if you're going to be my friend, you got to be strong. You, you got to be there for me, you know, and that's kind of the, the takeaway on that. Nice. And that's why I like performing it um, acoustically or with a full band. And in this performance, who, who's playing with you? So this is my guitar player that goes way back to my first band in college. And he's also in my band, The Wreck, Lindsey Payne. Um, he's my go-to um, guy that I, that I always use if I have any, you know, solo or duo acoustic stuff. And then with a full band, he's in, he's in my band. So it's Lindsey playing the guitar at the Hootenanny which is a great um, collaborative thing that Jim Walsh, the writer and musician, he used to host these all over the Twin Cities. And you just sit on this panel. Like the, the original meaning of Hootenanny, I think, is like a jam or like a front porch, you know, get the sure. washboard out the banjo. But the Hootenannies, <laughs> the Hootenannies in the cities were like just a bunch of cool singer-songwriters hanging out and each does a solo song or two. And then we jam a little together and the storytelling. And uh, we were really honored to be invited to one of the hoots a few years back. This is a live recording from that. Long answer. (laughs) No, that's great. Let's take a listen to my guest today, Colleen Martin-Oak, singing uh, Love Me Like a Man, a Bonnie Raitt cover. Yes. 
This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. You just heard a live recording of my guest today, Colleen Martin-Oak, singing the Bonnie Raitt tune, Love Me Like a Man. And I just, well, I love your voice. That's why I wanted you on when I first heard you. Um, I didn't know about any of your other uh, talents musically, but I heard you sing, and I love, love, love your voice. It's so, it's soulful, It's and it's very bluesy, but without being harsh or rough. You know, it's okay. got a smoothness to it as well. And and effortlessness, too, that sometimes blues feels a little forced. Not with yeah, you. I totally agree. And, you know, in my 20s, I tried really hard to do the grind. And, you know, that that goes against all my vocal training. So right, exactly. I, I'm trying to find my my true voice with a blend of all of those um, different genres of music and all of my singing experience. So thank you. I really appreciate that compliment. Thank you for sharing that talent with us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So moving to teaching, I just kind of want to touch on, um, you know, part of the reason I do this show is is because I think that music is so important. And I think that the most important area of music is in, in education, because I think it's so important for children um, socially and, and for their brain. And we'll talk more about that later, too. But for, for you, what are the three most important tenets of your teaching? You can give me more or less, but I was just I just picked three of you know, what's really important for you to impart to those students while you have them in front of you? I, I, I love it that that you want to fo- focus on that and zone in on that, hone in on that. Um, music education for me was so important in my childhood. The, the, the connection between your music education in a school setting or in experiences like singing in church choir or you know, playing with your neighbors or friends um, and the support I got from my teachers and my family and friends and the community. And as an educator now, you know, it's so important to have music in the schools. And and I hope that we never take it for granted for those districts that do continue to offer arts education. Um, I'm lucky that the district I'm in has this AAA philosophy, which, which I wish all schools would have, is that the arts are as important as the academics and the athletics. And, you know, in my classroom, um, I teach sixth, seventh and eighth grade. And um, the kids have to take a music through sixth grade in our district. Which school district? I'm in Rosemont, Apple Valley, Egan. I love my district and I love the support for the arts in my classroom. um, Like I said, the sixth graders have to take band or choir. So I'm not always having like the kids that love to sing. You know, there's a lot of reluctant learners. So my philosophy, my philosophy used to be, I want to instill a love of the arts, but you can't force that on kids, right? You can't force that on adults. So it's kind of shifted over the years to primarily, especially the last few years, having the choir room, having my classroom be a safe, accepting space, an environment where all my students feel safe and welcome. And and that's become more important with the isolation of COVID and the lockdown and, you know, Zooming and some kids don't even show up to Zoom and, and all of that from the past couple of years, but also to to allow the the diverse population to feel welcome, um, that, that all kids should feel comfortable in my classroom, nice. whether they're singing out or whether they're just being shy and kind of absorbing because you can't force someone to love a subject or to love a content but you can provide an atmosphere that allows those who are really into it to, to really get into it, you know? So that's one of my, one of my pillars is a safe space, basically. Nice. I love that. 
And, uh, and also um, it's the perfect place for that because there's inherent risk in the arts, mm-hmm. those who, those who um, partake in them and mm-hmm. take classes at them, right? You're putting yourself on the line when you're, when you're in math class, you're doing your work here at your table. It's private when you're in theater or um, in, in art, other people are seeing and observing and hearing what you're doing. And so there has to be trust there. Otherwise you can't really perform to your, um, up to your potential. If you're, if you're afraid, if you're afraid of what, for whatever reason, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and, you know, kids, um, singing is such a personal thing. You know, your yeah. voice is part of who you are and they're, a lot of them are really shy about singing out in the classroom. I have so many kids tell me, Oh, I'm not going to sing. What if the kid next to me hears me? Or then there's like the class clown is like, Oh, you know, just going for it. <laughs> so it's such, it's such a mix of um, skill level and interest level that, you know, even if I get a little out of them and then you put them all together for the concert, it's that um, teamwork aspect of you're going to be safe. Even if your voice wants to be really soft, you can just blend right in and your voice is not going to stick out and getting over that stigma of, Oh, I don't like the way I sound or, Oh, I can't right. see myself on, you know, middle school kids are really conscientious about that. Yeah. That AAA philosophy. I wanted to give that a shout out because I think sports and a lot of the individualistic society norms that we have, it's so competitive. And, and so I try to make um, connections or draw parallels between the teamwork aspect of sports versus the competition. So yeah. with choir, I say it's not a competition. Like it's not, you know, is this class better than that class or is this singer better than that singer in choir? We really are cooperating. We really need everybody. Right. And without, you know, without saying cliches and stuff to them, I tell my kids all the time, like, you know, if you're, if you're sitting on the bench, you're not really playing the game. And if you're going to be in choir, just try a little, you know, if you're going to be in the outfield, at least reach your hand up. <laughs> so right. I always, I always do those comparisons, but I don't want kids to feel competitive about choir. And at the high school level, part of the reason I chose to to stick with middle school as my career, high school gets really competitive when they're trying out for musicals or they're trying out for the select ensembles, you know, chamber right. choir, whatever, getting the lead in the musical. I, I really want my middle school kids to have that safe sort of buffer um, you know, everybody's in choir and nobody has to try out. We do have a select choir, but it's not audition. It's just like show up, you know, after lunch and let's hang out. So I, I really want to draw that distinction between the competitive aspect of, por- of sports and the cooperative component of, of performing in a choir. Getting, getting back to that, that shift in my philosophy between loving the arts and just participating, right? I want them to be active participants. And that has been a challenge when you throw in uh, the sudden lockdown of the spring of 2020, we were going to do the musical Footloose. And I had this great mm. cast of sixth oh. through eighth graders and I was so pumped and we were getting into it. And it just went from like, woohoo, we're doing all the great songs and then go home, you oh. know? So, and that was really tough because it was like spring break that lasted till June. And then yeah. that fall of 21, I believe we started in a hybrid model, which I really liked the, the hybrid was a good transition um, because kids weren't just at home, you know, in their closet, you know, zooming. Right. And then there'd be like a stuffed animal or a cat. Like it was so bizarre Pauline, that the <laughs> lockdown teaching and, and learning during the lockdown was bizarre enough, but to be a choir teacher, I can't imagine. You know, 
And I'm like, I'm like broadcasting from my living room. You know, I've got, I've got my little piano studio, my little classroom, and I'm doing videos every day. And, you know, I had some really cool songs that were, you know, really kind of pertinent at the time. Um, There was a song from this Disney movie, Coco, and it was called Remember Me. And it was so weird that I had programmed that for the spring concert. And here we are at home. And I'm like, hey, guys, remember? My classroom used to have like 66 chairs and just packed full of kids. And then during hybrid and distance, um, I had to have six feet apart, right? And social distance and measure. And so it's like this kind of weird, empty classroom. And and then last fall, they're coming back masked, singing. And I'm like, okay, can you guys project? So I'm using my eyes to teach, you know? (laughs) And, right. and I'm conducting with my head because I'm at the piano and um, oh it, it, was, it was hard to get the active participation with the masks on, but we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of conversations and the winter concert last December was masked, masked spread out on the risers, like three feet apart. I had to add, like, I think I did five concerts last December because we couldn't oh, wow. squeeze them all in and we couldn't have the audience at capacity. Right. And then, and then to go from that to mm. like ripping off the band aid, ripping off the mask. And then the spring concert in May was full numbers, like all my sixth graders, like 150 kids. And I, I put them all together. And it, it was really weird for me just from the um, health standpoint of going unmasked. Yeah. You know, when numbers are fluctuating, but we followed all the protocols and we kept things safe. I could talk to you about this and we should someday. Uh, yeah. Ever. But we have to move on. And, and it's a great transition into the quote, which we've kind of already been talking about this. But um, yes. let's go ahead and give the quote because I got it right here. So this is a quote from Gerald Ford, who was huge on education. Music education opens doors that help children pass from school into the world around them, a world of work, culture, intellectual activity and human involvement. The future of our nation depends on providing our children with a complete education that includes music. What strikes you the most with that, with this quote? What I love that quote. Thank you for finding it. And thank you for, um, for reading it and sharing it with me. Um, it, it just ties so perfectly into what I've been saying during our conversation about teamwork, you know, and, and culture, the culture of the arts is a very different culture than the culture of sports, yet they have a lot in common, but they're so crucial in the foundation of our human experience. And, and we have to provide a platform for students to, to be vulnerable or to be on a team or to be um, brave enough to sing out and let their right. voice be heard. And that, um, that active versus passive element that I really um, underscore you have to get involved in something. And, and for school, we're really building community. We're, we're, we're building relationships and building community. And, and to be in a community, you can be an individual, but, but you also have to work together with others. And those are life skills that I believe the arts help us learn as well as sports. Um, and it's interesting because I have this quote in my gallery on my phone And this quote ties in perfectly with your Gerald Ford quote. It's a Paul McCartney quote. And it really sums up my approach to the arts as an educator and a performer. Paul McCartney said, I love to hear a choir. I love the humanity to see the faces of real people devoting themselves to a piece of music. I like the teamwork. It makes me feel optimistic about the human race when I see them cooperating like that. Yeah. And I think that, that could maybe even extend to 
all art, it does make you feel hopeful for the human race. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. not a lot right now, at least for me, to look around and look at our politics and look at big business, some big business. You know, there's not, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hope there, but there is so much, so much hope in the arts. Yeah. Yeah. And it also allows us to to express those the hopelessness too, you yes. know, the hope, the despair, the the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. That's what I love about the arts. Yeah, yeah. And if you can, it, with the despair side, if you can put those, it's like the idea of reading, you know, Grimm's fairy tales to a child. They can put their fear in the story instead of holding on to the fear. Mm-hmm. You can put your despair in the music and perhaps mm-hmm. expunge some of it. Right. That yeah, way. Totally. Yeah. That's so weird. You bring up Grimm's fairy tales. Cause I did into the woods this spring and I was in way over my head with sound. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what was I thinking? But it's so cool. Cause kids are like, God, these are twisted fairy tales. I'm like, Oh yeah. They real are. good life lessons, kids, real good life lessons. <laughs> they are. And some tough music too. Besides. Yes. Yeah. 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 You are one of the busiest people I know. I you're in, you're involved with so many different projects. So why don't you just take us through the different projects that you got going on right now? One of the things I've done for the past few years is I'm in a band called Lolo's Ghost, and they're just an amazing group of musicians uh, fronted by James Loney. I love his songs. They're just really um, from the heart, and they talk about the human experience. Um, I, I couldn't ask for a greater bunch of Twin Cities musicians who all play in other projects. And nice. we had a residency um at Harriet Brewing, which was a cool brewery, um, kind of over by East Lake Street. And um, then we had a residency at the Whiskey Junction. That was fun. That was on the West Bank. And then we had a residency at Driftwood, which is a real hub of music activity. If you're trying to get started or if you're trying to get back into music or anywhere in between, Driftwood's a safe safe space to try that out. And we, we were there for a while. I've had just a great time singing with that band. And it, that's what gave me a lot of these other opportunities to collaborate with other musicians that I probably wouldn't have met. This resurgence in my career was very unexpected and unplanned. Mm. So after a career and raising a child um, to, to be in my late 40s, early 50s, late 50s now, <laughs> it's a total yeah. gift. And, and I love being busy because it feeds my soul. In the late 80s, the Ombres was my band. And that kind of took a break because we all had, you know, family and careers and stuff. And that has evolved into the wreck. And that's got um, my guitar player, Lindsay, who's also an Oak and Payne. Uh, my bass player friend, Tom Larson, who's one of my college buddies. And his dad was a choir director. Um, mm-hmm. Zim Ryberg on keys, brilliant musician. Um, Chip House, that's his real name. He's our drummer. <laughs> and then we have horns. So so Tom Twist nice. was a classically trained trumpet player from St. Olaf Orchestra. And um, Andy Schaefer is the only non-Oli, but we still love him. That's my band, The Wreck. And, you know, I, a lot of this conversation has been talking about collaboration and community. And I don't know if it's one of the hoots or sometime when bands open for Lolo's Ghost, there's always opening bands that will play before us. Um, I met the Thunderheads. And the Thunderheads are these great musicians just a few years older than I, but they do a blend of covers and originals. And from that, I developed this music friendship with Craig Paquette. He's a local singer songwriter. He's a, does a great Neil Young. Like if you want to just close your eyes and listen to Craig do Neil Young, it's amazing. Wow. And then Steve is the other guy in the Thunderhead, Steve Blexrude. He does a really good, like Mark Knopfler, Dire Straits, but Craig 
wrote his first album before COVID and invited me to sing backup. I am not a singer songwriter. I'm a singer. So to have that original material to collaborate on is, is really um, fulfilling for me. It's really rewarding to, to work with these people who come up with these beautiful original songs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And then the Delindas, <laughs> that was another like, oh yeah, let's add one more thing. Yeah, exactly. I know this great, this great singer, um, Edie, that used to be in Lolo's Ghost with me. She's got her own solo career and a couple bands, but she said, I'm going to get together a bunch of really talented women. Some of my favorite singers and this is my cat in the twin cities. And we're going to do a Linda Ronstadt tribute. Oh, what a so, great um, idea. Oh my God. So I, it's so fun. We've got four people that trade off singing lead and it's all women musicians. And we've, we've done two shows so far and think of your favorite Linda Ronstadt song. We probably do it. And nice. we've got a show, we've got a show coming up that I'll get to later on in the plugs. So going back to um, Craig Paquette and the Thunderheads mm-hmm. and his album, and like you said, this next song that we're going to play here called Bear Trees is you singing back up on, on uh, one of Craig's songs. Why this one instead of an, a different one on the album that you've sang back up on? Bear Trees was inspired, I think, with him driving up to the North Shore or to the Iron Range and one of those seasonal changes, either fall or spring. And he, I think it was the North Shore because he said... When, when you're up there in the summer, everything's so lush, you know, and, yeah. and it's just all green. And whenever this road trip was to perform or whatever, to record, um, he just said, it just looks so different with the bare branches and you can see Lake Superior or wherever he was going. And the song is also about losing somebody in your circle of friends or maybe losing an elderly parent. And I think we're all at that age now where, uh, yeah. sadly, you know, friends might be passing on or, um, we're taking care of our parents or we've lost, you know, a parent or both. And so for me, this bare tree song, it, it really expresses the human connection of um, music and friendship and family. And, and to me, it also speaks to um, maybe loneliness, you know, mm-hmm. during, during periods of isolation or during changes in the weather. Um, and I just, I just love his lyrics and, and I love the music that that puts it all together. So that's what I'll say about that song. Awesome. And that's a great setup for it. So let's take a listen to my guest today, Colleen Martin Oak, singing back up on Craig Peckett's tune called Bear Trees. I want to be sad, but it's too hard to cry. I want to move on, there's no one to take me. I want to look back, but my memory is gone dry.
Talk, and I'm your host, Pauline Jennings. My guest today is Colleen Martin Oak. You just heard her sing back up on Craig Paquette's tune called Bear Trees. I love the song. It is a great song. The words are great. Yeah. Your backup part, like you said, it's not it's not your typical backup uh, part. I bet a lot of people want you to sing backup because you just kind of you know how to put the sauce on and you know how to blend and all that kind of stuff. So oh, well done. It's a, it's a pleasure. I, I love getting invited to do that. All right. So it is time to move on to best gig, worst gig. <laughs> People have a hard time picking particularly the best gig. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, all of us have almost all of us have t- stories of of technical failures and rain and or uh, p- rude people. Uh, what do you yes. got for us today? <laughs> well, <clears throat> anytime I can travel is really, really fun. So most recently, one of my best gigs was getting to go up to Madeline Island and play Tom's Burn Down Cafe. Ah. If you've never been there Put that on your bucket list, people, because it is a trip. And uh, I was invited up by Barbara Meyer from Be In The Sting. So The Wreck and Be In The Sting played Tom's Burn Down Cafe. And I love road trips. I I love being on the road. I love the destination, getting there, hanging out, you know, the after party, just the whole thing of um, being with friends who are musicians and performing. Real, Real appreciative crowd. And going way back to the late 80s, it may have been 89 or 90, I think my top favorite gig as a singer with Colleen Martin and the Ombres, we opened for Coco Taylor at the Caboose. And Coco Taylor is one of the goddesses of blues, Chicago native. I was very, very very nervous. It was an amazing opportunity. And we're hanging in the green room and she was all dressed up and she had her slippers on. 
Cause she's like, you got to save the high heels for the stage. And she's giving me all this great <laughs> advice. And I, you know, she's like 60, 70, 80, and I'm like 20 or whatever. And then I, I did my thing and I came out and she said, girl, you can sing. And I was like, Oh my God, thank you, Coco. Thank you so much. I was so excited for, for that opportunity. That was definitely one of the peaks in my, in my singing experiences. And I love having the older generation lifting up the youngers and let them, letting them know that they do well. That's just so important. So, so important that the grasshopper informs the cricket. You yeah. know, I was really blessed to have that uh, opportunity. Awesome. Worst, worst gigs. All right. That, that was a toss up because, yeah, you're right. Technical stuff. You know, one of my drummers got cattle prodded once somewhere down. <laughs> I won't say what sub- southern suburb, but. I was in this blues blues band called the Sliders. I was just a, I was a backup singer, and it was uh, it was a, it was a gig. It was like a you know it was a gig, and um, we used to get these really weird gigs. So like we did this um, biker bar down in Chippewa Falls called Ape Hangers, and it was kind of like the Blues Brothers, where <laughs> they they liked our the Sliders was a blues slash slide guitar great band, um, but they really wanted they wanted me to sing more lead because I was singing backup. They kept saying Janis Joplin, so. We didn't really do Janis Joplin. So it was like when the Blues Brothers had to do, you know, Rawhide. <laughs> we, pulled, we pulled out Bobby McGee. I think I borrowed the guitar and I, I played lead and just gave him a Bobby McGee to keep him happy. But um, there, there, were, there was a lot more stories with the sliders, but that would be like a campfire conversation, not on the radio. So got it. Got um, it. And then, yeah. And then let me think. I assume there was another one. Oh, very recently, our, our friend, your friend and mine, Bruce Paquette, Craig's brother who plays with Steve in Jambalaya, we got an opportunity at, at, a, at a venue that was working on getting music back, but right. the, the owner did not clearly communicate his expectations with the bands. It was supposed to be um, Oak and Payne opening for the Thunderheads. And let's just say it was very near to a big sports arena. And the owner got a little confused about the timing of when the game was going to be letting out. And when he wanted live music versus the jukebox, I think in, in, in retelling, I think the takeaway at the end of the day of why it was the worst gig is because there wasn't clear communication with the bar owner and the talent about what his expectations were and what we were supposed to deliver. And what I love about the twin cities is most people who book music and most venues support the musicians and are very clear on here's the gig here here's the money here's the timing so i guess i've gotten kind of spoiled because everybody's so kind right. to have to get rubbed the wrong way was was really um unusual and we made the best of it you know because the thunderheads are, are veteran performers and they said we're not going to play and you know it was just didn't work out but then um lindy and i just stayed and hung out with friends and sat on the patio and still you know hung around and made the best of it but I think that communication is really important, you know, whether you're a professional or you're just an amateur and you want to get in on an open mic, make sure you understand what you're getting into and and what you want to get out of it. Because um, I've had so few bad experiences. It was hard to come up with worst gig for this, nice. <laughs> for this broadcast. Yeah, That's great to hear. And that's yeah. great advice too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Boy. That communication and knowing exactly what's what what to expect, the anxiety that that causes when it's not done well is just such a bad thing to have before you perform. Yeah. Well, musicians should get paid, but it's not just about the money. It's about the respect. Like we work hard to to craft our 
our product and we want it to be enjoyable. We want the patrons to like it. We want, you know, friends and family to come, but we certainly want the the hosts to enjoy the experience as well. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well yeah. put. Yeah. And so we have to wrap up. I wish oh I man, I could talk to you hour. all day, Pauline. This is really fun. I love talking to you. Oh good. I like talking to you too. All right. So your gig's coming up. I know that we, you have a gig. We, I was going to wait till later in November and September and I mm-hmm. didn't. So people get out your calendars right now and put this down because uh, Colleen's going to be in Northfield on the 30th of September at Armory Square with the wreck. The wreck. With the wreck. With our horn section too. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's going to be really fun. We love playing Northfield. That's our, that's our favorite place to play. Perfect. Perfectly yeah. said on the radio station in Northfield. <laughs> we appreciate it. Woo-hoo. All right. So what else do you have here in the next month? If people are up in the cities or. Yeah. Out and, about? and I'll make this real quick. Cause I know we're getting to the end of the show. Um, the rec is also playing Excelsior brewing. That's our first time um, in the Western suburbs in Excelsior. It's a fun brewery playing down there. We've played imminent before. So we'll be back there at some point, but Excelsior brewing August 26th. Armory Square, September 30th. And then there's going to be an interesting uh, mashup of some some of our friends called the Bratlins. They're two brothers from Northfield. Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to connect with the Bratlins and we're going to do, um, it's kind of an art skilled thing. Our buddy Curtis is a chainsaw sculptor down there in um, Nurstrand. And I think we're doing something, collaborating with the Bratlins, some members of the rec, probably going to be October 8th back at Armory Square. So to be... To be announced. So stay right, tuned. Watch um, for that. Yeah. With the Thunderheads, um, we're going to play the Dubliner, which is this great little Irish pub mm. on uh, University in Creighton. We're playing a Sunday afternoon, August 28th, 5 to 8, early show. Um, we got invited to perform at the Lake Harriet Bandshell 9-11 concert. That'll be um, Sunday, September 11th, I think 7 o'clock at night. And then Craig's going to be doing a solo set at the White Squirrel, which I haven't been to yet, but it's a cool new little bar in um, St. Paul. That's going to be September 15th. Awesome. So a lot of opportunities to see you. And Uh I guess to find those dates, you just search Google for The Wreck or Oak and Pain or Lolo's Ghost or Thunderheads or Delinda. Yeah, to, to the, find out the, the wreck and Oak and Pain were only on Facebook. I just, it's like a okay. part time, you know, <laughs> the wreck plays five or six times a year, Oak and Pain three or four times a year, but we're at Facebook. Those are where our pages are. Craig Paquette's all over Thunderheads. You can find anywhere. The Delinda's, the only thing we have coming up because we're all so busy, um, it's, it's this really cool venue in the alley by Loring Park behind Hi Fi Heron Records. Cool. Our friend John Clifford is kind of like, patron saint of local music and um he hosts these really cool alley parties so we're going to be opening for annie and the bang bang on (laughs) sunday september 25th that's the delinda's that's the linda ronstadt trip and uh bring a lawn chair because you just you know park it in the alley there and it's just like a little slice of boho it's great what fun (laughs) what fun yeah thank you so much for this i really appreciate it um for you to take the time because as we all found out how busy you are that's just great and it's so lovely to see your beautiful face and hear about all your experiences it's really awesome well thank you pauline i'm so thrilled that you asked me and that you do this show to support the arts not just in northfield but in our community at large um love the connections between the twin cities and northfield and i'm so grateful that you've got this um platform that you can talk to musicians and and let us talk 
to the rest of the community. Thank you very much. You are so very welcome. All right. Take care. Many, many thanks to Colleen for this insightful and thoughtful conversation and for sharing her voice with us. Thanks always to Wendy Nordquist and to you, dear listener, for listening to Musician Talk on The One, KYMN. You have a wonderful day. Thank you.